But we have to understand it's even more complex than that. You know, we have to deal with human emotions and people and politics. And so, you know, the person running a testing program in an organization, I, I think, has a much bigger challenge than the person running the the analytics practice. And if we say that being an analyst is hard and you have to piss people off, you know, I think optimization is even that much more more difficult. They have. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a roundtable discussion covering a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Your hosts, Jason Thompson, John Moran, Jen Coons, and myself, Jim Driscoll, all live in different areas of the world, but work together in the same company. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. I made uh, I made one mistake with the nuts, John. I'm eating them right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what, 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 what was your mistake with the nuts? There is a item in there that is not a nut. Oh yeah, like a. Which item are you talking it, about? A it's chili? a skinny red chili of death. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> you ate the chili. I didn't realize it. I just because I would grab a handful and just throw it in my mouth, and then. <laughs> I'm like, what? And my whole face just like started tingling and I was sweating. I'm like, what did I just eat? Oh, other than that, they're very fantastic. And they have just the right amount of spice to them. But the the pepper alone was probably not a good idea for me to eat. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you learn the hard way. Yes, like they're, they're delicious, though. It's It's got a really strong like kefir lime leaf or something to it. It's very, it's very Thai tasting it's mm-hmm. delicious indeed they're gonna go fast though i think it's like half gone i don't know if that's a bad thing <laughs> and, and you just got them what on monday i just got them yesterday oh wow okay i think it was yesterday right yeah i think it was yesterday they showed up yeah well can always uh have a refill yeah sure <laughs> For sure. No, I had to. I had to break into everything yesterday. I had to. I had to sample the uh, the Thai, like mostly cashews, um, mm-hmm. very but very delicious. And then uh, I had to brew myself a, a cup of uh, coffee with the uh, with the beans. So mm. it was both very tasty. So thank you for uh, sending that over. Oh, no problem. All right, Jim, how are you going to segue this? Yeah, segue <laughs> that. Give me a second here. <laughs> oh, okay. So, you know, Jason, you're talking about the chili and, you're, you know, you're, you're just, um, you know, you're not completely conscious of, you know, what, what you're, you know, grabbing as you're doing it. Oh, man, so, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so what... <laughs> um, so it's not a very smooth segue, but either way, so, you know, you're, you're talking about just, you know, you know, you accidentally ate the chilies, you're taking handfuls of the nuts, you know, you're not completely <laughs> conscious of what you're grabbing. So what I want to talk today about, and right now I have a working title of, you take your bracket seriously, why don't you take your testing program seriously? So um, 
March Madness, the NCAA tournament, is right around the corner. So very, very soon, you're going to see many people spending a great deal of time putting their tournament tournament brackets together. And I know at least two people that put together multiple versions of it, you know, uh, to, to, to see which one re- really plays out. But, you know, on the, on the flip side, I know we've seen it time and time again where people will implement a testing platform, whether it's an optimizedly a test and target or what not now it's just called. No, no, target, target. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So Adobe target, let me correct myself. Uh, I, th- th- that's one old name. I still subconsciously just default to, <laughs> but anyway, so they'll implement uh, an optimizedly or an Adobe target. Um, but then with that, they'll just throw stuff at the wall and see, see what happens. And again, just randomly putting stuff together and see how it works. Um, so why does it feel like some of these people will spend more time and effort on their tournament bracket than, than their testing program? And I mean, the, the, there's more than just the, well, let's get the testing program up. It's the hypothesizing. It's the planning out of the various tests that you want to, to perform. Um, there, you know, so they, there's no planning component, there's no deep analysis, and the results show. So what do you do to convince people that to get the most out of their testing program, um, you can't just fly by the seat of your pants and see what happens? Um, and how do you deal with, say, the, the, the comeback that, you know, aren't testing programs supposed to let you move rapidly so you can learn? Wait, what happened to Jim? No, I was done. I, I just oh. muted myself. That, was... that that created an awkward awkward pause. I was reading oh, one sorry. of the I was reading one of the reviews on the podcast, and that said that there's there's some really awkward pauses in the conversations, and it's super uncomfortable. I laughed because really? I've heard I've heard from other people who are like, I love that the the conversation feels real and it's not overly edited. So yeah, we can't please I mean, everybody, and I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, like, you know, when there is, like, the real pause, like, you know, when somebody says something and there's no immediate return, I do cut out the pauses. Like, all right. I think it's a natural part of conversation, right? In that yeah. in, in this instance, I really thought we, like, uh, we had a technical problem. No, oh, no, no. okay. We're not professional broadcasters. No. Well, <laughs> at least not yet. We're, we're working there. Once... We're, we're getting there. We're getting better. Yeah. yeah. Once we get that studio belt out, then we'll take it to another level. <laughs> Man, there's uh, there's lots of different directions we, we could take this. John, you want to – sounds like you you want to jump in. Yeah, I'm just – I need to think about how to even organize my thoughts because obviously, yeah, I mean, we, we deal with a lot of these um, – these what's, – what's like a – situations or, or, or organizations that, um, you know, are in various stages of maturity on the optimization side. And I think we've all dealt with a lot of it client side potentially in the past as well. So yeah, there's a lot of reasons, um, I think why it may seem discouraging a lot of times optimization programs. Um, and I'm just trying to think about how to even organize my thoughts, but, um, I think, at the like probably the common the common theme of what i'm thinking around is that optimization is a lot more difficult and complicated than than many 
organizations, generally speaking, uh, think that it is when they initially sign on to to wanting to approach optimization. And I think part of that is the way that a lot of the platforms and tools advertise uh, or market or position their their optimization platforms that it's you know very easy. Uh, you won't need any developers. You know, a marketer could just run tests on their own. Um, and I think all of that is actually very bad to some degree, um, in the sense that yes, it's technically true, but that's not really how you would ever run a, an actual optimization program. Just having a bunch of people randomly throw up tests, because uh, well-run optimization programs, there's a lot more involved. Um, which I can go into, but maybe I'll I'll take a step back for a second to to see if you uh, agree with that. I I absolutely agree, and there's many different kind of things I was thinking about, but I I think it's Optimizely's fault. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> and and not not specifically Optimizely, but I think they did a. I mean, we're, we're not sponsored at all, but if anyone wants to step in and sponsor, we can get that, that sweet, sweet podcast money and we can really, you know, up our game and cut out all of the awkward pauses. So, and if it's Adobe, optimizely, we'll optimizely. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> no, we, we can't, we can't be bought. Um, we're just going to spit it like it is. Um, but, uh, I think you're right. Testing is is really, really hard. If Eric Peterson said that uh, analytics is really, really hard, and, and I, I believe he's right, I think testing is even that much more difficult. It's, it's just really, really complex to do. And I, I think it's important that we separate out what we call digital, kind of this digital space, and what we refer to a lot of times as digital analytics from the broader world. Because Obviously, if you if you look at scientific testing, there's a whole other level. Uh, if you look at testing that was done by other teams within business organizations that were not digital at, at one point in time, um, it, it was much more rigorous and, and structured just because the people running those tests typically came from a more scientific or statistics background. And, and honestly, my first analytics job when I left Omniture that was the thought of the the people there is they thought, you know, because they had been told that, oh, we're hiring a guy to come in and help build our optimization program. And in their mind, they're like, oh, we, we're hiring like some statistics PhD guy that's going to be like really geeky and hard to talk to. And then I got there and they're like, wait a minute, that's not who we hired at all. <laughs> you know, but that that's who used to do testing. And I think that optimizely really, really was a forerunner in breaking that mold. And, and sure, you had uh, test and target back in the day, um, which, you know, was actually a um, acquisition by Omniture very, very early on of Offermatica. And Offermatica was a really well built out solid tool built on sound statistical logic and reasoning and, and, and reporting. Um, and so it was a little bit more cumbersome to, to use. Uh, and and Optimizely came along and said, hey, we can make this easy. We can make this approachable by the digital marketer. And they did such a fantastic job of stilling market share. It forced a, 
a reaction from everyone else in the field. And, and we, we saw Adobe react to that. And, and if you look at the progression of test and target to target um, over the years, it has become more like Optimizely than, than anything else. And I think that was a direct response to Adobe losing business to Optimizely because they had done such a fantastic job of making this really, really difficult thing approachable by the marketing organizations. Um, however, I think a very, very serious drawback of that is, is that it just further helped gloss over, um, how really difficult this is. And it, and it really helped to almost hide the fact that there's a lot of rigor that needs to go into testing to, to, to do it right. And, and we're really talking about the output. We're really talking about um, when, when we, when you call winners and when you decide that a version B B version a, but I think what Jim is queuing up is even, you know, larger than that, that just the ideation process is, is really, really difficult. And I think that probably leads you down a different path. And I would probably put my blame on the CRO in event, you know, industry, they're slick. You know, you talk to some of these CRO shops and they're like, really well polished and their presentation you, you can tell they come from a um from a background where presentation and how things look is really really high on the list and they tell a really really good story but the problem with most cro agencies is they've got this playbook that says okay client x you're in retail so here's the things that you need to test you know we test button color uh you know if you're we take we test add to cart placement and all of these things may be important, but what we're lacking is we have the data. We have the behavioral data there to help inform some of this ideation. Um, why are we cutting that out of the process? And again, I think it comes down to the, the marketer wanted something super easy to use, something that was approachable and lots of these organizations and I'm going to give Matt Gershoff, the CEO over at Conductor's credit for the term, um, but I, I saw him refer to it as theater. You know, a lot of these a lot of these companies are are doing testing for the theater of it, and so you know you have these companies that set these um, kind of crazy goals to say, you know, our our goals to run X number of tests concurrently and Y number of tests a quarter, and you don't hear anything about what the actual end results and the value of those tests are. It's just the appearance of, of running an optimization campaign. And that's where a target and optimizely a visual website optimizer comes into play because those tools do make it very easy to run lots of tests very, very quickly. Sorry. I was well, all over the place in that response. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm glad you brought up the whole button color test because that's, kind of a thorn in my my side i feel like and it was kind of partly what i'm i was thinking about when i mentioned how a lot of platforms position themselves as being overly simplified because i think this this idea of testing a button color is so prominent throughout anyone who wants to do testing like they've probably either read a white paper saw an example saw a demo of a tool and it's always like changing the button color. Look how easy it is to change the button color. And then everyone starts their testing program thinking that they can make such a simple change like that and expect like a 300% increase in conversion that will directly relate to revenue. And all, um, it's just not really the reality. I mean, 
perhaps your default button color is really horrible and it, you do run that test and there's an improvement. But in most cases, that only gets you so far um, from what I've seen. Um, same thing with you know, testing two different landing pages. You know, those that's a little bit more common of a use case. But really, when you're getting deep into optimization, the, the impactful tests are, are grossly more complicated than that, changing entire um, conversion flows uh, you know, segmenting users and using, you know, personalization tactics to, to, you know, increase their, um, you know, lifetime value or, you know, their, or whatever, or optimizing their, their entire flows. Um, I'm speaking very generally, but the, 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 the bottom line is like a lot of these tests are a lot more complicated than people would think about. So you can only brainstorm so many, you know, Let's change the size of the font or the the, the background color uh, so many times, and it just it it just feels like, you know, they run some of those tests, and they don't have any impact, and then testing can quickly lose steam unless it's like kind of um, the real the the education around what you really need to be doing is 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 there at the organization yeah and 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 i you know i'm with you and i think if you go out there and you google like button color you'll probably find hundreds if not thousands of articles and research on what the most popular button color is for high converting websites um and it is a very easy case study to attach to and story to tell. So if I'm if I'm a mm-hmm. vendor and I'm tell you know if I'm selling a testing platform, that's a really easy use case for me to to highlight and show. And so that kind of perpetuates. And and in some cases, it may very well be true, right? But the the essence of testing isn't just saying, okay, well, this case study provided to me by Visual Website Optimizer said that if I have a a blue button instead of a yellow button, I'm going to convert higher. So that's what I'm going to test really misses the point because um, what we need to understand is how that impacts our target uh, target audience, right? Our target population. That's that's really what it it comes down to. And so that's what I'm what I'm saying is we have we have the data now. You know, we've spent so much time as a as a digital um, organization collecting the right kinds of data. Let's not ignore it. Um, so really what we're trying to get down to is understanding what our target audience is and doing the research and analysis. And I think Jim cued that up early on is that, that that's really a major step that's missing in most testing programs. And again, I, I think that comes from the, the popularity and the slickness of, of what we call conversion rate optimization or CRO is that you have this playbook of tests. You know, we have all of this, um, all of these case studies that say, you know, button color or headline placement or hero image size, uh, and, you know, and these are the things that are going to move the needle for your organization. And that may help give you some ideas of things that you want to test, but it doesn't give you, um, it shouldn't allow you to skip that very, very important upfront st- step of doing proper research and analysis. And, and as we've talked about, that can be really, really hard, but that hard work pays off because it's what you need to do to really understand your target audience and then test the things that are going to resonate with your target audience. And again, they're telling you through their behavior what where the sticking points are, what things may or may not resonate with them. So leverage that, that behavioral data that you already have do the research and then start doing much more targeted testing based on that. 
Yeah, I mean, testing really should be a kind of a cyclical thing where the data informs the tests, the tests result in data that informs future tests. And it's a, it's, it's a constantly like an iterative process. And I think a lot of times that's forgotten. People are just looking for, organizations are just looking for kind of all these quick wins, low-hanging fruit. You know, that's always how, when people, uh, from what I've seen, when, when organizations want to start a testing program, let's just start with the low-hanging fruit or these these quick wins. But it's, you, yeah, it's not really a cookie cutter in most cases. Um, no one has the, that very generic storefront that's in the that's in the demos and uh, and, so really and i think that's that, i think that's fine to start point. with as long as you don't fall into the trap that that's what's going to define our testing program you know if 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 that's what you're using to whet everyone's appetite for for testing you know maybe you're playing with fire a little bit um but i, I think it's okay to run some more basic testing just to show and, and highlight what it does. But we also should be open and transparent that, you know, those tests probably aren't going to move the needle much. You know, we may see a little gain here or there, but the reality is, is it's probably going to be within the margin of error. So, you know, it's probably not, it's probably not really moving the needle at all, you know, and even though the testing solution may show a slight lift and may show statistical significance, it, it's probably not really moving the needle, you know, that much at all. And if it is, it's, it's pure chance. What, what really matters and what really moves the needle is, is doing things that are hard and doing things that are hard is putting the time up front um, to do research, to do analysis, um, that that's where you start to to really drive some serious gains in your in your testing program. It's it's not about kind of hacks, right? And that's kind of how I look at the at the playbook for CRO. As I see it as kind of like you know hacks, like you know hack your website for higher conversion. And and there's probably white papers and LinkedIn thought pieces about it that are titled that. You know hack your website for higher conversion, and they'll talk about button color and hero image placement and all those things. Um, but if you if you seriously want to drive um, increases in, in conversion and value out of your testing program, it comes down to really analyzing what your customers need um, and, and the message that resonates with them. And that's not something that you can get from a, a guide, right? Again, that can point you in the right direction of things that may align with what your customers do. But the only way to get that answer is to put in the hard work and do the research and analysis to determine what do our customers really need? What language is going to resonate with them? You know, what things are, are really going to align with the vision that our, our customers have? Once we have that relevancy, then we're going to start seeing some real big gains in our testing program. And then you can run one or two tests rather than 20 tests. And that those one or two tests are going to far outperform in total those 20 tests that are just not really moving the needle. Yeah. Uh, that's, and that's a hard narrative to tell, and, you know, right? Because the, the, the company wants to see action and movement we need to be busy and run 20 tests, but it's hard for them. It's hard to say, just set, settle down. You know, we may not run 20 tests. We're going to only run two, but those two are going to be really, really valuable tests. If we zoom out for a second and slightly dig or not digress, but evolve the topic, you know, there's another big challenge I don't think we touched upon in terms of optimization that I've seen, which is getting buy-in from the entire organization on it. You know, whether it's even education, if there's optimization going on, or um, just having everyone on board that 
that's happening because I think many times what 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 happens too is optimization starts is trying kind of like a from a corner of the organization somewhere, you know, and some group is running some tests. But then at the same time, there's like major site releases that could be happening and major functionality <laughs> launching on the site, major marketing promotions or some events going on. And that just totally can screw up <laughs> all of the results that you're that you're doing you know, simultaneously. Yeah. So it never works that way. I mean, I think and that's part of the challenge is that in, you kind of need to have organizational buy-in that testing is happening at least you, you do but at a minimum you have to start with someone running your optimization program to realize that that those things that you just listed matter and i, I that's that's the place you have to start and i and i'm not i'm not disagreeing with you that having organizational buy-in is is important but even if you don't have organization-wide buy-in as long as you have someone running your testing program that understands that those things are important they can at least architect and analyze the results with those things in mind today i i would say at least half of the cases out there that isn't the case and and again i'm going to put some of the blame on the the testing vendors for helping um, encourage this to happen is they make the reporting super simple and I wrote up a blog post a couple of weeks ago about, you know, you're doing testing wrong and you're 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 falling victim to p-hacking. And I'll link that up in the notes for this article. But the 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 vendors have made the reporting so I guess dumbed down is the best way that I can put it, yet so confident because they they kind of back it with these statistical measures that make you feel like this test was absolutely a winner, but they can't know all the answers. And so while I put some of the blame on the vendors for not putting the statistical rigor that is needed into the testing, most of the blame has to be on the person running the optimization program because the the, the platform can't know everything. And as someone analyzing the test results, they often feel victim to pleasing their boss or filling a quota of number of tests that we need to run rather than taking a step back and saying, okay, this is going to be really hard. We just ran a test and now I'm going to have to go figure out what else could be impacting it. I know our marketing team was running a promotion. I know our email team just sent out a massive blast. Uh, I know there was like a day where we had some system outages. There was something big going on in the, you know, in world government, all of those things could impact your your results and you have to take that into consideration as you analyze the data but again unfortunately it's become so mechanized that we launch a test we open up the visual editor in the program and and you know tweak it launch it let it run for a couple days we get a little badge saying we've reached statistical significance and then we send out an email saying hey guys we've got a winner and we've got lift everybody looks like a hero and it's just it's at at best, it's it's misinformation. It's it's telling a, a very incomplete story. At worst, we're costing organizations millions and millions of dollars in in either revenue that is not to be realized. So lots of these winners that were out there evangelizing and saying, "Wow, we had great lift," that really don't. And if anyone were to go back and actually do the math, they'd start to say, "Well, wait a minute." Why aren't we seeing that extra money in our bottom line? It's like, well, there wasn't really a lift. So, you know, that's the best of the worst case scenario. The worst of the worst is we're actually adopting winners that are actually hurting our lifetime value of our customers. And we're actually costing the companies even more money um, based on these decisions. 
I think the good news for optimization people is that companies really aren't coming back around and evaluating the success. They're kind of taking everyone's word for it. Um, the bad news is, is when that, that, uh, that finally falls and someone starts questioning it, a lot of people are going to potentially be really, really angry that for years we've been, we've been making conclusions on things that were, were flat out wrong. And, and again, at worst, costing companies millions of dollars in lost profits. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, yeah, the, the results is, I'm glad you brought that up because they were just getting to the results can be very complicated. I think when, you know, we run tests, we rarely ever will just uh, take the platform's word for yeah. it. Well, yep. Yeah. And that's, and, and to be fair, you know, that's one of the things that I think we were very, very good at early on is, is two things is we always used the data to inform the test, um, the test roadmaps, um, the test catalogs. You know, we would spend the time up front with with companies to really understand their their consumer data and start to say, okay, the data is telling us is this is what your customers need, and let's formulate a testing program around those needs. Um, we were also really, really good at not just using the base reporting in any of the optimization platforms that we used and insisted that our clients integrate with an analytics platform so we could do deeper, richer analysis, so we could take all of these other things um, into effect. With that said, I think we absolutely have fallen short in the statistical rigor. And and I'll, I'll pull Matt Gershoff back into the conversation. You know, Matt and I have been friends for, for many, many years. If you don't if you aren't familiar with him, Matt is the CEO of a optimization product called Conductrix. Um, if if Optimizely is the most friendly, easy to use for for marketers, Conductrix is on the far opposite end of the spectrum. And I think Matt freely admits that. You know, he says things like, "If if a if a company is an Adobe shop, we're not a good fit for them. Um, their platform is very very rigorous. Uh, he's always pushing the envelope, but he knows that that limits his his potential audience. Um, and and him and I have been talking for for years, and it wasn't until uh, you know just a few months ago that some of the things that he was talking about finally started to resonate with me, uh, and that's what really push me to write this blog post on, you know, you're probably doing testing wrong. And that's one of the things that admittedly, you know, we haven't been great at is thinking about the the statistical impact of how we formulated the test. So while the ideation may have been well um, thought through, while the results analysis may have been well thought through, we were missing that middle piece that from just a pure statistical standpoint, you know, our, our conclusions may have been wrong because um, the, the, the statistics weren't backing up what, what we were finding. And so it's, it, again, it's, it's really, really complicated. It's really, really hard. Um, and that's just from a, a kind of technology standpoint is, you know, how all this works. And from a statistical standpoint, that's really, really hard, but we have to understand it's even more complex than that. You know, we have to deal with human emotions and people and politics. And so, you know, the person running a testing program in an organization, I, I think has a much bigger challenge than the person running the, the analytics practice. And if we say that being an analyst is hard and you have to piss people off, you know, I think optimization is even that much more, more difficult. They have so many different facets to, to, to manage and balance. And it's not easy. 
And, you know, it's not a, a sterile um, scientific lab where we can just run clean tests. That's not the reality. Businesses are messy um, by, by their very nature. And, and so people running testing programs have to figure out how to run the best tests they can in a very messy and opposite of sterile lab, which, which is their business. Yeah, and, I, and I'm just thinking now another kind of side of this as well, kind of why, I mean, bringing back to, to Jim's original question, why people may not be that into it or kind of become, maybe become or start out a little bit jaded uh, with optimization. I think similar to how some people probably are with elections, not to get into politics, but but um running you know initial tests and seeing a lot that maybe never reach significance never have an impact it might seem like what's the point of testing to to some organizations and they get kind of turned off by it agreed they're paying Um, a lot of money they're paying a lot of money for these platforms right they want they want to see quick results yeah because you want to see big results um, but I think just another mental shift around that a- idea is that all tests um, are learning opportunities about your customers, even if the you know in the short term maybe it wasn't a big win. That learning could influence an upcoming test that would result in a big win. Um, so I think that that kind of mindset needs to be. Kept didn't didn't well. Todd say that Jim on on uh, one of our podcast episodes where he was a guest? So Todd Shaman, uh, who runs testing for Christian Science Monitor, he said something like, um, "We don't call it a testing program; we call it a we call it a learning program, or something like that." Do you remember that conversation, Jim? Yep, yep, I remember that, and that's exactly what he said. Yeah, I love the way that he he put that. He's like, "Yeah, it's we don't we don't call it a testing program; we call our our practice a a learning program." I thought that was such a a really great way to to look at it um because you're right i mean if you Absolutely. if 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 the goal of your testing program is that every one of your tests that you launch is going to generate a winner with lift over over the control you're going to be sadly disappointed if if we knew that that was going to be the case why do we even need a test right let's just let's just roll out the alternate version we have in mind. We don't need to, to test it. And so, you know, learning um, and further refining your, your testing roadmap is, is really a great way to, to, to look at things. Uh, I had a thought and now it totally escaped me, but that was, that was a, a great point to, to get in there. Um, but I, I think John, you brought up another good point is just the cost of these programs. So the software is, ex- is expensive. Yeah. It's getting cheaper. Um, I think the ability to get to get into it is 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 more accessible at an enterprise level. I, I think the competition um, and and multiple options um, available has really helped drive the pricing down. But it's it's still expensive. Then you have to invest in people, and we have to remember that a testing program isn't just buying a SaaS solution and hiring an optimization strategist. It affects a lot of people, right? You need probably a front end dev to write some jQuery or JavaScript. You probably need someone from creative to to create new you know mockups and collateral. Um, you're most likely going to have to have legal review because you're changing content and copy on the website. So it's a really expensive um, endeavor if you think about all of the people that are involved in in making tests um, possible. Absolutely. And, and we're talking about for the, the well-made tests, of course. 
Yes. But yeah, I think the other, the other thing is there is like to all these points, I mean, there's, there's definitely like a high learning curve to running testing and it's very customized to the particular organization. So that might mean how to interact with the, the different uh, optimization team members, but it also can relate to um, ideation, prioritization, uh, the sizing of tests. So a lot of times you'll want to understand, you know, how long a test yes. might be live for. Yes. But there's there's variables that go into that formula that there are going to be very bad at at the beginning because you don't know. Um, and and the platforms do not help you with that. Other than, and I'm going to put a plug in for Conductrix, they build the sizing in up front into how you design your tests. Um, the other platforms do not. Uh, Adobe mm. actually has a really, really nice calculator for helping you size it. Um, but it's hidden in their documentation. It's not built into the UI. It's it's actually a really good calculator. And, and you kind of put in the variables and pull the levers to determine, you know, what threshold of type one and type two errors you're willing to live with, what kind of the sizing looks like. And it helps you determine both size of your tests and runtime in order to get to a level of significance that can be um, that can be uh, statistically proven. And um or disproven, or Gershoff's gonna gonna get on me for using the wrong terms here. Side note, Jim, let's get Matt Gershoff on a future episode ASAP. I hope he'll join us. That that will that will be that will be a fun one. But yeah, I think you 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 know you bring up a good point, and again, that's where I think the the popular uh, solutions in our space have removed that from from the workflow because it makes it more difficult and it exposes that test probably have to run longer than you think they need to run and it removes this idea that you have a budget you know your budget is the time and the number of people that you can put into your your testing and if we remove that calculation from view we can pretend it doesn't exist therefore we can cycle through tests a lot faster so man there, there are just so many different facets to it and we're, we're probably just touching on the, the tip of the iceberg here, but hopefully we've helped, you know, kind of tell a narrative of why this is, is really, really complicated. And again, from a, a results standpoint, why it's so important to take the time to, to shape these things properly, because we, we are, we're in a very, very powerful position to have impact on a business. And that's the idea behind optimization programs. But we have to understand that if we're doing it wrong, and this goes far beyond the results that are shown in the interface of our favorite testing platform. If we're doing it wrong, we can actually be causing some some very real harm to the businesses that we've been hired to help. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's one other factor too that I'm thinking about. Um, sorry, I'm just kind of throwing things out there. But I think to some degree, and it might not be as prominent, uh, but maybe it is, or maybe it's somewhat hidden. But I think there's always some sort of inherent fear of optimization as well because or because in some cases you know while we can judge winners the ones that don't have an impact like so what if a you know there's a lot of resources on this huge uh endeavor internal endeavor uh uh for some new site functionality it's tested and it turns out there's really no impact to the bottom line. You know, that could, someone could jump to the conclusion that that was a wasted effort, for instance, or, um, and I think sometimes optimization 
can optimization programs can highlight those things. So I think that's subconsciously, at least, uh, some might fear that aspect of of optimization as well. Whereas Absolutely. if you know we weren't testing or weren't measuring that closely, then everyone always applauds the the effort but <laughs> we the 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 theater makes us feel good right and yeah. and you know if if that's the aim and that's the goal and you know maybe maybe and we're and we're running tests that don't really matter maybe that's okay you know maybe that's okay that we're just making ourselves feel good but i i, I think you know if if organizations are truly interested in using this as a strategic advantage over their competitors the only way to do it is to put in the hard work um otherwise it's just you know you're just kind of playing in a sandbox and hopefully you know you're you're just not doing that much harm to the the business and hope you know otherwise you're just not really moving the needle but you feel good about it and you know maybe that's okay but but again Absolutely. if you if if you really want to make a difference, you, you've got to put in the hard work and it is, it's, it's tremendously difficult. I think it begs for having a really, really strong leader in an optimization role because it is, it's a, it's a very tough uh, role to be in. But if you have the right leader in that role that has the, the technical understanding that has the statistical rigor and background uh, that understands how to navigate the political waters um, and can help highlight the value of any test because it is, it's a learning opportunity. We're learning every time we test something, we're learning more about what our, our consumers want, our customers need, where their pain points are. And, and that is never a loss. You know, if we're gaining knowledge and we're learning more and we're being able to better target uh, our product and positioning, that has to be a win. And so I think, again, that comes down to the importance of having really strong leadership in that, in that optimization role. Unfortunately, I think hiring in digital analytics in general uh, is really, really lacking. Um, companies really struggle with how to hire. So what ends up happening is they hire a manager or director of analytics. There's an 80% chance that that person's background is in implementation um, and in and in, ad, in, in administration of a tool set. They, they kind of get pushed into the role of analyst begrudgingly. Um, and then before they know it, they're now an optimization strategist and they're just so far out of their element. Um, it, it, it's really important to hire the right people for these roles and invest in people. And this kind of goes back to a topic that we have hammered to death, but is, is so critically important that, you know, all the great tools in the world, at least today, you know, maybe that changes in the future with, with AI and whatever the hot new trends are, but today you need people to make those tools work and, and to be valuable. And you can't just go drop a ton of money on a cloud suite and expect it just to work and without hiring the right people. And a lot of times that's multiple people. You know, that's not just hiring a good implementer that you think is going to be a great analyst that's going to be a world-class optimization strategist rarely exists. Yep. And I wanted to kind of highlight one of the points you just mentioned too which was just that you really need to use the learnings from optimization. And I think once those are kind of cycled into the, 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 the workflow of the, you know, the entire organization that, I mean, well-run optimization programs can be very, very power, a very powerful thing. And I think in those cases, which are rare still, but like in those cases, um, I think everyone gets excited about it. So it's just kind of getting to that state. 
you know, to, to kind of go back to the original uh, question of this or the original topic of this, uh, of our conversation, I think a lot of times people don't seem that excited about it because they never really got to that enlightened state of optimization. Right. right. Yeah. And that comes down to positioning. And and again, the vendors are going to position it one way that's not necessarily the right way for the best long-term value of the program, right? Their, their job is to sell the software. Uh, it's someone in your company's job to help, to help set that message. Right. Um, and if you don't have that person hire the right outside expertise to help you build out that there's, there's lots of really, really good, um, agencies out there that can help stand up optimization practices. So don't feel like, uh, you're, um, you're somehow less or losing if you, if you go that route, because, Definitely hiring the right guide that's been there before can help put you way ahead of your your competitors. So, you know, that's that's an option that should absolutely be evaluated. And again, there's lots of really, really good um, agencies out there that can that can help um, move that program forward faster than than you could alone. I think we've kind of come full circle and really touched on a lot of a lot of key things. Again, I I would love to to have a follow up. You know, I think Matt Gershoff from Conductrix would be a, a fantastic guest. Um, if someone from Optimizely or Adobe um, would want to come on, I would be more than happy to have them come on and and challenge me on on some of my thoughts that I think that they share some of the blame for making this look too easy. Um, and get their side of the story. I, I'd be absolutely open to that. Uh, I think this is one of those topics that really deserves a few follow-up episodes to drill into additional details because there's a there's a lot of value to be gained here. And again, I think there's a lot of education, ourselves included, uh, that need to happen in order for for all of us collectively to get to the level that we need um, when we're dealing with something that is is so important. And again, I think we need to be really, really careful here. It's just as an analyst, we have a duty to slice with our analytical knife very carefully, you know, even more so for the for the optimization strategist. You know, we, we have a huge duty to to do right by by uh, the, the customers, by the population we're testing on and, and ultimately the business that we represent that we're doing with this with the utmost care. And, and I think a lot of times it's just out of ignorance that we aren't. And so the more that we can help shine a light on that and, and at least start the conversation, um, I, I think we will, we would all benefit from that. Mm -hmm. I, I agreed. We, we definitely need to have some follow-ups. And the, the one topic I'd like to dig into more is selling the organization on the methodical testing approach, because you, you hit it time and time again, where a lot of times organizations look at the testing program and measure its success based on movement. So it's movement for the sake of movement. That's how it's managed instead of movement to, to learn or movement to, to improve. So that, that's definitely something I'd like to dig into. And, you know, how do you sell your organization on, you know, on that, on, on not counting success based on the number of tests run, but what uh, is actually the result of the tests that are run? For sure. So let's um, let's let's schedule some follow ups. Let's reach out and see if we can get some guests on. I think this is a really important topic, and I think one that is is hopefully really interesting for people to listen to. John, any any last thoughts? Uh, wrap up from you. Um, no, I think yeah, we touched on a lot of things. Um, I think 
the the big thing is just that at least I didn't mean to come off sounding against optimization at all. I mean, I, I love optimization. We all love optimization. But I think the, the key point is really just uh, it's a very difficult thing to be good at. Or, and, you know, it's one of those things that you maybe you never actually reach that utopian point, but you're trying to always kind of <laughs> go closer and closer. But uh, it can be a very powerful thing. And, yeah, I'm really looking forward to these follow-ups, too, to really talk through some of these um, unintended positives that come from optimization as well uh, yeah. throughout the organization. Yep. Cool. Uh, great topic, Jim. A really good conversation, guys. And uh, it turned out that a early morning podcast maybe wasn't such a bad idea. I think it. Uh... I, I was thinking that about halfway through. <laughs> you kind of came in worried that you know recording earlier than normal might throw things off. Meanwhile. Um, I mean, you were spitting fire all day. Awesome. Yeah, no, it, uh, it was good. Maybe this, maybe this is our, our new norm, early morning recordings, <laughs> <laughs> at least for me. I don't know. What time is it in Thailand, John? It's uh, it's well, now it's about 10 PM, but, um, in a few weeks I'm going to be in California and then I don't know if I'm going to agree with your early morning. Right. Uh... Fair enough. <laughs> Cause it's going to be even, even earlier for you. So, so. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. A great conversation as always. Yep. Thank you. All right. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at www.33sticks.com. The 33 Tangents podcast is a production of 33 Sticks.